0: Let's turn to the final part of uh, today's one, two, three show, and that is a bit of artsing around. In this week's artsing around with Andrew Dambina, we hear about the new surrealism exhibition on at the Hong Kong Museum of Art as he interviews one of their cura- uh, curatorial team. Hi, um, I'm Amy, Amy Chan, Assistant Curator of International Programs working in the Hong Kong Museum of Art. This exhibition, our whole International Programs team work on every bit of this exhibition. I'm in charge of every part of the exhibition, you know, from communicating with St. Pompidou, you know, this Mm. this is like an exhibition we had uh, exhibits, you know, from the St. Pompidou Museum in terms of like uh, communication and, you know, negotiation.
1: How long was the exhibition in in the planning stage?
0: I think two years or so. We plan to have it last year, but because of the pandemic uh, situation, we postponed till this year. It's a uh, collaboration with Le French May, the French arts yeah. festival. It opened in May, and it will last for four months till September 15th.
1: That's a very long French May. <laughs>
0: Yes, it's
1: very much. So here we are at the Hong Kong Museum of Art then, and we are taking a look at what will without doubt be one of the fine art highlights of the year in Hong Kong. The exhibition, as we know, is called Mythologies, Surrealism and Beyond, Masterpieces from the Centre Pompidou. Briefly, what can the public expect to see then from this exhibition?
0: So we're honoured to have over a 100, like actually 170 exhibits from Centre Pompidou, including, you know, from paintings, sculptures, film, photography, and also a number of archive materials. They published a lot during that time, you know, all kinds of journals, magazines.
1: It was very serious movement wasn't
0: it technically you know like it started from 1920s because that happened right after the first world war people were kind of feeling empty lost you know looking for something for surrealist movement uh it derived from the dadaism so dadaism you know uh, if some of you may know you know like it's about uh, destroying you know like all kinds of values during that time but you know like for surrealism you know instead of being too negative. Yes, they also destroy I mean like they kind of like remove all the values, criticizing all the values but they were looking for a solution Yeah. You know, and that's why mythologies came in.
1: Mythology then that is the way that it's been curated Why was mythology chosen as a theme for this show?
0: So this exhibition was guest curated by Didier Ottinger, Deputy Director of saint Pompidou. He is, you know, like one of the experts uh, in this movement and he actually raised a, a Good point. During that time, you know, everybody was fascinated, you know, by Freudian theory, Sigmund Freud's uh, psychoanalysis theory. And he actually, you know, connected this theory, you know, with the mythology, you know, the Oedipus complex, all these things. So, you know, for these artists as a group, they were, you know, like fascinated by this uh, theory of looking into dreams, looking into mythologies. And that's why, you know, for the whole movement, mythology is a threat that, you know, connects uh, everything together. Okay.
1: We're standing in front of a couple of iconic artists now tell us why you chose to start the interview in front of this one amy
0: well yes because uh you said wow <laughs> in front of this piece
1: it, we should say it's a salvador dali
0: classic exactly because uh you know like for people who know about like uh, surrealism you know you must have heard of uh, salvador dali so here we have uh, dali's work this is called william tell and as i mentioned about myth as the major theme of this exhibition every art uh, they actually used some kind Kind of myth idea. So this one is like, you know, William Tell is a is a Swiss hero. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, like, you know, shooting the apple uh, on top of... uh it's the young son- boy, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. yes. <laughs> so, you know, this is a figure, you know, like being a hero that actually you can see in this painting as a father figure here. In addition to talking about William Tell as a story, Dali actually showed this piece, created this piece as like showing the relationship, you know, between his father and himself. A father figure, like here, is like my first strong powerful figure himself is like you know looking kind of like inferior basically you know he couldn't face his father it's some kind of like an autobiography mm. you know showing like his relationship
1: in the sky we have something rather unexpected
0: well actually it's kind of expected because you know like as you see in the middle of the painting you see the uh there's a piano
1: yeah and this is flying in the sky by the way
0: uh, exactly and you know like of course like it's kind of unexpected to have a rotten donkey on the piano yeah but this uh, uh image
1: yeah let's just say that again there's a flying piano with a rotting donkey And that's not unexpected.
0: (laughs) Well, well, in in a in a way, yes, of course, it's unexpected. But you know, if you look into Dalí's work, it appeared several times in his works.
1: Yes, it is a theme that pops
0: up. Exactly. So, like uh, the rotten donkey appeared a number of Mm. times. You know, because he had this image, you know, since he was a kid. You know, because the rotten donkey remembered reminds him, you know, like uh, the sense of death, and. the piano, actually, it's a symbol of high culture. They were, like, criticising all the values during that time. So high culture is something that, you know, they want to criticise.
1: Okay, and next to Salvador Dali, the, the painting you've just described, William Tell, is one of the originators of the movement of uh, surrealism.
0: Yes, yes, so uh, this work is by De Chirico. You know, it's more about, like, you know, the early stage of surrealist uh, movement. This painting is, uh, you know, uh, the title is Two Figures. Kind of, like, reminds himself having himself and his brother.
1: These figures have no faces. They are smooth-faced, almost egg-headed in a way, and their bodies are made up of all kinds of architecture. Yeah.
0: Yes. Myth is again an element appearing in this painting. Uh, talking about two brothers. There was a Greek mythology talking about two brothers looking for, you know, the uh, golden fleece. That's the story that he was, like, uh, kind of inspired. In reality, you know, he and his brother were also born in Greece. Probably, you know, the architecture that you you now can see in the inside the bodies here, you know, probably they have seen it, you know, when they were kids as well.
1: So both the paintings we've seen so far are oil paintings, and they both look very dreamlike, for people that aren't familiar, one of the characteristics of surrealism. Okay, we've moved into the next gallery section, and the exhibition is in chronology.
0: This section is about chimera. You know what chimera is?
1: It's an emblem, isn't it A, a an imaginary animal? It?
0: Yes, it's like a monster, you know, with a lion's head, goat's body, and a snake's tail.
1: And a sort of emblem for surrealism.
0: Exactly. So everybody, you know, during that time has their own chimera. ah
1: uh-huh. We're standing in front of uh, what is a particularly... Out-of-the-box sculpture. Yeah,
0: so this is a very typical uh, chimera. <laughs> Obviously, it's a combination of an animal, a real fox.
1: That's a stuffed animal. You've got the head and the tail, really, of the animal, haven't you? Yes, yes. And, the, and then the body of the table with four legs.
0: Exactly. Most of the artists during that time, they want to explore the themes of sex and death. Yeah. So you can also see this in this uh, piece, this uh, artwork. Uh-huh. So you see the animal's head is, like, turning to its back. Mm. Trying to bite himself, showing like he's going to try to kill himself. This is kind of a you know exploration of death. And at the end, you know, you can also see his uh, sex organ.
1: Oh, right, at the back. Yes, you know? showing those two elements. Okay, so we're into the minus four section. Yes, and that is half man half bull isn't
0: it exactly I
1: mean, it's from greek mythology yes it? again
0: it's from the greek mythology you know and usually this is portrayed in the labyrinth yeah that's the
1: classic tale, that's the classic
0: it? because you know the labyrinth is like kind of uh, trapping the minotaur inside because minotaur represents some kind of darkness unreasoning you know without without rationality in
1: the human psychology
0: exactly yeah. Let's talk about this piece, like now we are in front of, you know, this is Masson's, the labyrinth. Yeah. We just mentioned about, you know, the half man, half bull. So here you can see, you know, it's very recognizable because the head is like a bull's head. Uh, with a human-like body, and inside you can see the labyrinth.
1: The Minotaur here it looks like it's actually a building which yep. houses yes. the the labyrinth, that maze yes. of getting trapped. So, like
0: during that time, you know, a lot of artists they think you know Minotaur must be like a, an ideal myth, you know, for them to explore because this is exactly about uh, surrealism, the idea of using your uh, emotions, talking about your inner self, and you know, just remove all the reasoning and all. Okay, so after the Minotaur session, now we're in the SFL section. Okay. So SFL means headless figures. Mm. So this is um, one of the myth-created... But the surrealists. Why do they design this like hatless figure? Because without the head, you don't have the brain. Oh. So without the brain, you don't have reasoning. So this is exactly talking about like just using your body to talk about like expressing your emotions. Okay. So in this section, you will see all these hatless figures. So now okay. we're in front of Magritte's
1: first place. glance. It looks like uh, a neck and a head yes. with hair, but instead of a face, there's the female torso.
0: Exactly. So in a way, it's also headless. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> technically, yes, like without the head. But yeah. you know, showing the uh, uh, the body of a woman, yeah. you know, uh, to resemble the face of the woman.
1: We're approaching a famous sculpture by Giacometti.
0: Yes, so Giacometti was well-known for his walking uh, statues. It, yes,
1: the elongated, very yeah, thin. Yeah, Yeah, the statues. very thin,
0: slim yeah. kind of figures. But for this piece, people would say, wow, probably they didn't know, like, oh, he actually belonged to the service movement once upon That's a time. That's right,
1: yeah. But this one has got a very violent name, Woman with her throat cut. yes.
0: So not only the name that's fallen, you know, the, the sculpture itself is also pretty uh, disturbing, yes. as you may say. So uh, as you see, you know, like this is a woman with her throat being cut and then, you know, without the head.
1: There's a bit of a spine. There's almost like an open rib cage.
0: Exactly. And you see the woman is like lying on the ground, yeah. you know, with uh, legs spread apart. Pretty much dying. Exactly. So again, you see, you know, the people during that time, they were like mostly traumatized.
1: Okay. We've moved on to the next gallery, and one artist's name included in the show, you mentioned Giacometti, people might not know he was a surrealist, but Jackson Pollock, most known for his abstract expressionism and drip painting, was part of the surrealist movement. Here we are, standing in front of one of his paintings. Tell us about this.
0: So now we're in the Second World War period of time. Yeah. A lot of artists from Europe, they escaped and they moved to America. So, you know, as I mentioned about the whole movement, it's related uh, to myth. While the European artists, they were looking for Greek mythology, the American artists, you know, like who were also influenced by the movement, didn't really relate themselves, you know, to Greek mythology. Because they didn't grow up with that. When they were like trying to look for the roots as well, for Jackson Pollock, yeah. for example. So he thought like he should look into the uh, American Indian tribes.
1: Exactly, their mythology.
0: Yes. And you see, you know, for this, uh, art piece, you know, like, you see, like actually, it's still, uh, figurative, you know. Yeah. You can still see the uh, Absolutely. the, uh, American Indian, you know, the, the figure here, the feathers, the colors are very strong. Mm. But, you know, like, um, I want to point out, like, surrealism, like, having a lot of, uh, techniques developed during that time. One of the techniques is automatism.
1: Yeah, automatic painting.
0: Automatic painting. So it's like, you know, without thinking too much, you just, do it
1: we can see the native american indian with the headdress and then around that figure it's less easy to tell what's going on it's more abstract exactly
0: exactly so you see you know this automatic technique actually, you know, uh, uh, influenced Jackson Pollock quite a lot.
1: What do you hope then that the Hong Kong visitor coming to this exhibition, that's adults, families with kids, will take away from uh, seeing the exhibition of Surrealism?
0: So we understand that, you know, like, uh, to a number of people, this movement is, like, maybe a bit difficult to understand, you know, in terms of like emotions, in terms of uh, its philosophy behind uh, the concept behind. So and we decided to engage uh, two artists uh, f- uh, from Hong Kong. To help us uh, to uh, understand or interpret more about this movement. So first of all, we have Hazel Wong, an illustrator based in Hong Kong. So she helped us to draw a whole uh, illustra- illustration book. Huh. Because nowadays, you know, we are all like under the pandemic situation. We wanted to travel. Everybody wanted. You know, and that's how she dreamt about, you know, like, oh, she wanted to fly in her dream. Huh. No, she didn't fly anywhere, but she came back to Hong Kong in a surrealist sense. Uh, of hong kong so in this uh hong kong she sees different kinds of exhibits Mm. in this exhibition and also uh, our hong kong art collection that we actually include as well that having this surrealist style Okay, so the second one is uh we engaged Keith Lam, a new media artist in Hong Kong. His work is very different, you uh, know, from Hazel's. Hazel's is like a illustration, mm. it's kind of uh using a soft uh way to tell the story. But for Keith, you know, he's like using his robot installation. Yeah. It's a very high tech uh way, like using uh, artificial intelligence to uh kind of train the robot arms to learn so this is his exploring you know like uh, during the 21st century we learn everything in uh,
1: artificial intelligence exactly
0: way. and you know like compared to our old style we use uh, just study like uh, just on our school desk you know you know it's a very traditional way and you know using the artificial intelligence they even created their own space their own reality and this is kind of like artificial reality Mm. it actually makes us to to ponder you know whether this reality is real or not? Whether the surrealist uh, movement, you know, can be interpreted in the twenty first century is something that we can think about.
1: Interesting. Do you think there will be a revival?
0: Well, actually, you know, like uh, I actually asked uh, the deputy director of saint Pompidou, Didier. He said that the surrealist movement never died. So up to this day, you know, still there are artists trying to using this style, using this uh, to different...
1: inspire their work.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Very. Interesting. Interesting. Thank you very much, Amy.
0: You're welcome. And that was Amy Chan talking to Andrew Dembina for this week's Artsing Around about surrealism at the Hong Kong Arts Museum. Thank you very much indeed, Andrew Dembina, for your great feature.